0: Hey everyone, this is Ben with Blue Ribbon Coalition. We are here on episode 23 of the Defend Your Ground podcast. Uh, This week we have invited Dean Diamond to be a guest on the show. Uh, Dean is from southern Idaho and he is heavily involved in an issue we've been tracking closely. Uh, There's a wind project that's being proposed in southern Idaho and it's called the Lava Ridge Wind Project. And this is... To my understanding, the biggest wind project that's ever been proposed in the state of Idaho, the plan is to install it on federal land managed by the BLM. They're currently in a process where they're accepting public comment and reviewing the impacts that this project will have on the surrounding area and communities. And Dean is part of a group that's been organizing to oppose this. There are significant problems that are we're finding related to this, not the least of which Is it'll likely result in reduced recreation access to the federal land where this wind project will be installed. Uh, I first learned about this from an ATV club in the area. And so I'm going to, we're glad to have Dean here. I'm going to turn some time over to Dean. And I would like Dean to kind of explain, first of all, where this is, what the impacts are going to be, and then talk to us a little bit about the coalition you've put together of people that are joining together to oppose this. So, Dean, why don't you start by telling us where this wind project is going to be proposed for people who might be, not be as familiar with Idaho and the areas around there.
1: Okay, yeah, my name is Dean Diamond. I have a small farm out out here uh, on it. Um, there's actually a national monument called the Minidoka National Monument, and my farm borders up to that. This project is uh, in, like you said, southern Idaho. It would be um, north of Twin Falls. And south of Sun Valley, just to kind of give you a, a perspective of where it is, number two. Um, the Craters of the Moon and stuff is on the far, far side of it. They would be able to see them from the Craters of the Moon, but it isn't actually on the Craters of the Moon Monument ground. Um, so that's that's where it's located. Uh, what more do you want me to tell you? Okay.
0: Yeah, so talk to us a little bit about... The community here i know you guys like i've heard about this a little over a year ago an atv club told me about it and so i thought well i'll look at the recreation dimensions of this and uh, after looking at it and how big it was and knowing what happens to recreation access when you put in a big wind installation like this that's when i first started getting involved but since then this has kind of taken on a life of its own why don't you tell us a little bit about the group of folks that have come together to oppose this? And, I mean, I think that includes everything from elected officials in Idaho and a broad coalition of different groups and users and interests. Why don't you help the everyone listening understand who's opposing this and why? Well, it
1: kind of started, the um, way I got involved is basically through the park service. There's a group called the Friends of Minidoka, and their job is to help preserve and, and protect that park. And they were greatly concerned about it, and they got a of me, and John Arkush and Perry Van Tassel. And John Arkush is a is a rancher out um, in the Gooding Choshone area. Um, he has the cows. He runs on the Starlight allotment out there. Perry Van Tassel is a dairyman over on the on the Hidden Valley side of it, where he would actually be surrounded on three sides by big wind. And so um, they, they contacted us because a lot of the friends aren't local people here and they were concerned about it but they didn't want to take too big a stand if, if the locals were in favor of it and so, so we come, come together and we decided to have a meeting in Jerome, the, the four of us and um, we had a meeting in Jerome and it was we was hoping to get 20 or 30 people there and I think we had two to 300 people there and we saw that there was a lot of uh, things about it and the ATV writer, I think it's Ted, isn't it Ted Hill? is the manager, um, or the guy in charge of it. And he, he is very concerned about it. He's been actively involved. Uh, in fact, I even want to say he's on the RAC subcommittee. Um, okay. And the more, the more you study this, and like you said, it's going to be not only the biggest project in Idaho, but the biggest project in North America. There is supposedly one just a little bit bigger in China, but um, it, oh, wow. it's just 740-foot-tall um, windmills, 400 of them. Um, first one we can find on public ground, um, where it comes in and the amount of roads and, um, you know, that they're going to come in and destroy the, you know, it's kind of ironic that you have all this development that the cowboys have done through the years, bringing water troughs in and, and, you know, managing the, the grass and stuff and the ATV groups have come in and built controlled trails so that you don't have erosion and they can still go out and have fun and ride on it and they're going to come in and destroy all that and put, um, just roads in which is gonna just do away with the whole history and I know this is an ATV group more oriented but we're all so far on this desert we've all been able to work really well together Um, there's Wilson Butte Cave and some there's uh, some of the oldest signs of life in North America found out on that desert and that that's cool whether you're an ATV rider going out and camping it you know to be able to see that stuff and and work around that and to come in with these windmills and stuff and and start blasting and and leveling and destroying it's just going to be devastating to this whole this whole valley and so
0: yeah so let me make sure i understand so i know i understand that the farmers tend to be opposed to this you're one of you're a farmer um your coalition includes several ranchers the friends of the minidoka i mean the minidoka national monument isn't that kind of a historical site national monument that was like one of these japanese internment camps right
1: Correct, and that was one of the biggest ones. And actually one of the reasons that Bill Clinton made that as a, designated that as a uh, national monument as he left office. And they took and, and did a general management plan. And they have really been good about involving the whole community and group to make sure that it wasn't just to come over but and take over this desert. But one of the reasons they chose out here was because of its isolation. And so um, it still give a remote. Then people, they lost everything, and they had to come out here and... and and live for a number of years uh, out in the middle of nowhere in pretty harsh conditions and that, you know, they really did deserve the respect and, and uh, stuff to preserve that park and that's one thing that really bugs me is that they, they did come out here, they're not trying to come in and run us off and take over the farming. I was actually really worried about that when they first come in and you hear about the government buying, you know, taking over this ground right next to your farm because my farm literally borders. It was part of that camp, my farm was. Um, but it has been just the opposite. The Friends of Minidoka, the Park Service, they have worked really, really well with us. They're concerned about the neighbors. And so then when they, when the BLM comes in and says, well, yeah, that's fine. You, you had that preservation over here, but now we're going to let these windmills come in. And I know people just say, well, um, the viewshed is one thing, but people go camping. They go riding their bikes um, just to get the beautiful views I mean on a clear night it looks like you can just reach out and grab the star you're that close to it and it's just so so calm and clear and I've got a view off the back of my farm that you know millionaires don't have out of the back of their house and um, I just don't think it's right that uh, the animals can come in put all the flashing lights up there you know and you, you start talking about killing the birds and stuff it's funny you can go uh, th- these guys are allowed to kill an eagle but if I go pick a feather up off of the, the dead eagle, then I go to jail. It's so, yeah. it's so yeah. weird.
2: So we've talk, you've mentioned that um, like the history of the area would be taken away because they'd come in and put roads where there have been trails that have been created. Um, the Friends of the Minidonka, um, they're opposed because of the view shed. And then wildlife, um, you mentioned that with the eagles i'm curious are there other reasons why people in the area and and people all over are opposed to this project that we should be aware of
1: you know there's a lot of talk about the aquifer um that we're on the biggest aquifer in the in the world or as far as i know the north america you know and it's fragile and stuff and we don't know what the blasting and, and all that is going to do to it um them seem to be the big ones, the, the effect that it's going to have on the wildlife, the restriction that it's going to have on public ground. People come in and say, well, it's going to give it more access because you got 400 miles of road. And them are the people that don't understand what true access is to the wilderness and stuff. You know, you got, They're going to do away with your ATV trails. They're going to do away with, and you know that when their first windmill gets vandalized, that um, they're going to start blocking that area off too. You know, And um, firefighting, in my opinion, is a big one. Um, we've been able to very successfully manage fires and stuff and a lot of that comes through aircraft and these guys say Oh, that's false information. We can still drop down in there and and uh, fight them And you know because we can turn off the windmills, but you feel, feel that thing full of smoke They got to be at 90 feet when they drop their retardant and you know, you got a 740 foot tall Tower if there was just one out there that'd be one thing but 400 of them You're not going to be able to, to control that so then you have got all the restrictions of you know, because it's going to be burning and or, or they're going to go in and kill kill the grass so that it don't burn, you know, and, and these wildlife stuff, you know, um, the ranchers have spent a lot of money and, and that gets to be a problem because to these companies a million dollars isn't a lot of money but to us common folks it is and they have spent a lot of money developing that and it benefits all of us, you know, as they develop the feed and take care of the grass that brings the wildlife in And it also, you know, gives a place where you can build trails. And and it's just, right now, we're really happy as a valley as to how that ground's been managed that we can all use it. And to me, if they come in and just put the windmills up, they're just letting a big select group of rich people buy the ground is what it amounts to.
0: Yeah, so let's, I want to dig into that a little bit because on one hand, it's like, it's easy to make this sound like, yeah, it is just a bunch of rich people trying to buy out our public land or whatever but we need power we need energy uh windmills are one of the way we can produce it and so i don't think that folks pr- uh, proposing this are doing it in bad faith i think they're doing it because they feel like there is a demand for that energy to be created uh, but what it like what would be your response to that because I, I mean we know the biden administration is really emphasizing clean energy projects on federal land that's probably getting the most attention of just about anything in federal land management right now between the solar farms and wind farms like this you have the groups that are really pushing the climate change threat and that this is the way to solve it and so here you have a local group that says well I, mean, I don't, and we don't have to get into the politics of that necessarily but where's this power going to go do we really need it um is it the best use of public land is this the best way of producing the energy this country needs i mean that's going to be ultimately what the agency's looking at here and that's where they'll be getting a lot of pressure from the top to approve this because it's in line with the climate goals and the clean energy agenda and so i'm curious what the group you've put together thinks about all of that
1: Okay, so that's kind of a, a two-sided, or there's a whole bunch of angles that could go. Um, first off, before I forget, I'd like to think um, you're right. They're getting a lot of pressure from the top, from the Biden administration to approve this. But when you go back and look at what the goals are of the BLM as a whole, it is to provide and protect the ground and allow the most public use of it. And this goes directly against that. You know. it it is just taking it down to one one entity i mean if we wanted to make it private ground heck i'd have bought some if i knew it was for sale but um the other side as far as what the power being produced my opinion is is the windmills aren't as green as you think they are you know when you take and you draw a big circle around and all the stuff that it takes to build them and all the diesel and all that kind of stuff it's not just as green and when you're talking green energy you got to draw a circle around the whole project you can't just measured at the tailpipe of a car so to speak you know you've got to look at the yeah. whole thing and um i can't speak for idaho power but i have found it interesting that they have not stepped on board they they haven't come in and said that um, that they need this power and if you go online and look at their 20-year plan idaho power doesn't include lava ridge and their 20 20- any power from lava ridge in their 20-year plan they have a little bit of windmill power and stuff but the problem that you run into with wind and solar is the um, being there when you need it. You know Idaho Power has a certain amount of base power that they need you know they're not working right now in fact they're probably selling power out of the state right now because they just don't need all the power they could potentially produce but come the middle of the summer when all of us are pumping and everybody's got their air conditioner on they need power there's right but they can't depend on wind and solar especially wind because they don't know if the winds going to blow and so you know, they, they've got to have their base power, but on that extra surplus of power, they've got to have a source that is dependable. that They know will be there when they need it. And so Idaho Power has a really good 20-year plan worked out. Um, LS Power tries to sell that they would have an option to, to buy this power, but we all know that we're not going to be able to outbid California and stuff on it. And so they're working with contracts, in, and right now um, they, they will tell you they don't have a designated contract for this power but Mm -hmm. it is slated to go to um, Southern California and Nevada, you know, down in there. Um, yeah.
0: And And uh, I
2: think that's one of the biggest frustrations that I've seen from your group and and people who are, you know, looking into this project is we're going to have to give up our backyard essentially for power that doesn't even benefit us. Um, that goes to California and, and that's something that there's this big disconnect. In fact, there's been, um, other planning processes in idaho there is um a comment period and in meetings discussing how the blm is going to address renewable energy projects and there was a lot of uh, lava ridge people on this meeting and they t- oh, that was a big concern with people as if we have to give up something, we want to make sure we're benefiting as well. And it just feels very one sided to, to the locals, I think.
1: I, I guarantee you, if Idaho Power was coming in and proposing this project, it would be a whole different ballgame, you know, because then it would be saying, hey, it is for our people. But Idaho Power isn't. And, um, and you're right. If it was for, for the locals and stuff, it would be a different conversation. I'm not saying we'd be in favor of it then, <laughs> but I am. Right,
2: sure. but it would just give a different perspective. Um,
1: yeah. But uh, I feel like I'm taking a test back in high school. Remember when you come in and you had the multiple guess test, and you come in there and you didn't know the answer? So you always started with eliminating the ones that you didn't know. And I don't know all the answers to this, but I know the ones that are not the answer. And this big windmill project is not the answer. And so I can't tell you what the answer yeah. is.
0: Yeah, so... How windy is it up there? Because I'm like I've driven through the Midwest, like Iowa and Kansas and Nebraska, and there's a lot of windmills out there. It's also really windy. Like I can't remember a time I've driven through those states and I stepped out of my car and I haven't, especially Kansas and Nebraska. And I'm like, yeah, I guess this makes sense. Wyoming feels that way. Is it really windy up there?
1: Well, no. <laughs> So, before all this, I didn't know there was such thing as wind quality, but evidently there is. <laughs> and um, when they yeah. did their study,
0: well, there they, is.
1: Rate, they rated the quality of the wind in this area as poor sort to of moderate. And you think, well, why? But um, that's one reason they're so tall, I think, um, is because the taller they get, the more consistent wind they can get, and they can utilize winds at different things. But when wind is too hard, they have to break them. You have to shut the windmills off, or else it'll break them. And when it's not blowing hard enough, obviously, they don't don't work. And so on their by their own numbers, it was poor, to a moderate wind quality. They targeted this area more because of our lack of regulations, and that just really bugs me. We have fought hard to keep that land open for our uses, you know, so we can run cows on it, so we can go out and ride our ATVs, and you know, that's a famous. It sounds funny because uh, it's desert. The scout groups and all these other places love to go camping out there. And the hunters and all that, that's a big recreational area for them. And we have fought hard to keep it open so that they can go out and enjoy them. But them are the very reasons that they're targeting here is because we don't have the restrictions here. And that just seems so weird to me. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and that's why I asked that is because for the administration to have such a high priority for wind power, and they target an area like this, which is probably targeted... more because it's open BLM land that they consider as eligible for this use you won't see them proposing building wind farms in their wilderness areas or it like and that's and so they're picking on you guys just be, for exactly what you said because there aren't the restrictive designations and things in the area and not because it's a really good area for wind power generation and that in and of itself should be enough of a reason to probably let this project go and let's use the money and the resources and whatever to build wind farms in the places where it actually makes sense to build a wind farm. And so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the process. Simone, um, this is, I've, I've been watching this community. There's a grassroots movement to really stop this. I've watched it grow partly because of Dean's leadership and others most people come into something like this and they've never been involved in these federal administrative actions. So where, remind me, Simone, where is this? Are we in the draft plan version of this? And so we're at the draft and then they'll be doing the final soon or is this scoping? Like,
2: Yeah, so this is scoping, but we do have alternatives proposed. Okay. Uh, so they've got um, alternative A, B, C, D, and E. So they actually have a lot of alternatives um proposed for this the BLM has said that their preferred alternative is i believe B or C and E if i remember right um B would designate the most area though it would it would take away the most so the BLM's preferred alternatives it's are not the most encompassing f- um, for this company um you would You wouldn't lose as much land, and I know they claim that you're not going to lose access. But something that I saw, um, people were asking about hunting, and and somebody said that oh, it's still going to be open to hunting. And I'm like, how can you hunt and shoot a gun right next to? I mean, it just doesn't. Yeah, don't you have to be like
0: 300 yards away from a structure to fire? Like at least in Utah, you do.
2: Yeah, and so I'm like, no, you can't hunt right next to one of these turbines, and so. When they claim that it's not going to affect access and recreation and the current uses, I I just don't see how that's feasible. But anyway, so we have this draft. um, We've got proposed alternatives. And alternative A is the current management plan. No action. Basically, that's the alternative that would not build a wind farm um, in any capacity. And so alternative A is um, what most people are saying they would like the BLM to choose. Um, where we're still in the draft these processes can take a long time so they're accepting public comment Um, Dean and his group were successful in getting an extension um, which is helpful for people to continue to learn about the project and submit comments. Um, They'll review all those comments and then they will give us a decision and we'll have a record of decision and that's when we can start and people can start Hold on, You said if this
0: is in scoping They'll review the comments. They'll come up with another draft that incorporates the comments. You'll still have one more round of public comment before the decision. And so this could still be... Like, if it's really just in scoping, it's probably realistic that we don't really see a record of decision for at least a year, right? I don't know what what their timeline
2: is. You'd think they would want to... I mean... I'm not sure when they're trying to get this.
0: My guess is it would be right after the 2024 election. Their, their goal sure. right now... Really, and I like if Biden gets... <laughs>
1: <laughs> their goal right now is is to have the final EIS out by late fall and a record of decision by, by early fall. I mean, late summer. Late summer for the record of for the final EIS and then to have... Um, the record of decision by early fall does that make sense yeah.
2: that's now, yeah. whether
1: it stand out or not you know because it really isn't the scoping we're in the comment period for the draft eis right yeah it that's right i
2: was like we we do have alternatives we are in the draft we're not in scoping oh,
0: okay uh we do a lot of these so you have to keep them all yeah. straight scoping was about <laughs> okay. a year ago I still think that's a little ambitious for the BLM, but my guess is they'll try to get it done sometime during the, this first term of the Biden administration. Um, So we have a action alert where people can make a comment on this plan. And I know the community has been commenting. Folks have been using our tool. We'll have a link to where if you want to comment on this plan, it'll be in the show notes for the show. And we definitely want everybody to add their voice to this one. Um, there's definitely a good group in Idaho that's rallying the folks to get involved and the BLM's legally required to consider comments and and we always make our comments with the assumption that one day we might litigate an issue uh, so we're always laying markers down that if we need to challenge a decision in court we always have that option available to us and But until you get the record of decision, we generally aren't getting too aggressive with lawyers. Um, And that's usually when they come in. And one thing I was explaining to you, Dean, that I wanted to just make sure the community understands is once you get the record of decision, you have what's called an objection period or the period of administrative appeal. And that's where if you're somebody who's going to be injured by the decision, you can appeal it. And, Um, an administrative law judge, which is a judge that actually works for the executive branch of the government. They don't actually work for the judicial branch. So it's somebody that works at the Department of Interior deciding did the Department of Interior make the right decision. And that's what we usually will call the administrative appeal. So you'll go through that process first. And then if you lose on the administrative appeal, that's when you'd actually then file your... A federal lawsuit against something like this in federal court because you will have exhausted your administrative remedies. And so anytime you're gearing up to oppose or challenge a decision like this, um, it's always going to be a process that takes several years. And the comment period I would consider is like the very initial stages of a legal action. It doesn't always mean that. We probably comment on Hundreds of things a year where we actually don't take legal action a lot of reasons that's because we influence the outcome and we actually get them to adopt a better plan uh, sometimes it, it and so it just depends on the issue and the situation um, but i know that your group has already started um, contemplating the possibility that this could require legal action and so i i want to give you a minute to explain to people how you're doing that i know that you guys have set up a fund where people can donate you ought to at least let people know where that is and we'd be happy to put any links or whatever in the the notes that are information of how people can do that so if they want to support you in that they can Uh, so why don't you explain what's going on there dean
1: okay i do have one question though for you um you talked about the administration appeals so if a record of decision comes out in um in early fall, like they're, they're predicting, how long would you expect uh-huh. to take to go through that administration appeal process? Uh,
0: so you have 30 days to file your notice of intent, mm. and then you have 30 days to then file your actual statement of reasons of why you believe the decision should be um, stayed or, uh, or overturned or not put into effect and then the blm has to respond to you and then a lot of times that requires a response from you like i'm doing it i'm in the middle of administrative appeals right now and it's a process that takes months just to do that administrative appeal part uh, and then once you get a final verdict from what's called the internal board of land appeals or the interior board of land appeals um then you've then you have standing to file in federal court. Until you've done that, you don't real. you're not going to file anything that would actually be considered a lawsuit in the judicial branch of the government. And so you'll, so that's just to help people understand the timeline of how these things usually play out if that's the course that that things follow.
1: So if it followed that course before an actual lawsuit, we're still at least a year away from any kind of actual lawsuit being able to be filed. Would you say that's fair?
0: Yeah. I mean, unless they really yeah. rush the decision through, but I... But like, they've got
2: to respond to all the comments that they're getting and they've got to respond to all of those issues before they even release the the final EIS, and so it's going to take them a while to go through all of this.
1: So, right yeah. now to file... Talk about a lawsuit's like talking about a car accident before you buy the car. (laughs) Is that right?
0: Um a little bit, except for I would make sure that if you're serious like if you're seriously contemplating litigation, that you're accounting for that in your public comments you're submitting now because if you like what you can't do is show up at the last minute and say, Well, you guys didn't consider X, Y, and Z and A, B, C and D and so we're suing you because you didn't consider all this stuff at that point they get to say well you didn't bring that up in your comments and so we didn't consider it because you didn't bring it up we we considered everything we were legally required to and you had a chance to bring that before us during the multiple public comment periods and you didn't and so your comments actually do need to be legally substantive if that's something you're considering and so that so the public comment period is still kind of the embryonic stage of a legal action. It still plays a role in it, but it's still very early in the process. And as Simone and I discuss, a lot of times we actually don't litigate things that we publicly comment on. Um, it just depends on how, what the BLM decides to do. And there's other issues where they start doing something and people get fired up and then they just get shelved for 10 years. It was, it's hard to say what they'll actually do in this situation because it is a controversial project. There's a lot of um, community opposition. Uh, one thing we haven't touched on is—is is there any like elected people in Idaho that support this?
1: I haven't found any yet. Um, we're actually tomorrow going up to the Senate. Um, there's a res- the, they introduced a resolution into the House. Or in yeah, it was into the House, a resolution against Lava Ridge, supporting that the BLM select alternative A is a no-action option. It, it's cleared the committee and it cleared the House unanimously. It is going to be heard by the Senate Committee, Resource Committee tomorrow. Um, I'm going to be testifying on that, and I I hope that it clears the Senate unanimously too. Um, yeah. We've talked to governors. We've got all you know. We talked to Simpson Crapo, all of our elected officials, and. And they're all supporting us in, in in trying to stop this, so
0: yeah, um, so usually a project this big, you kind of want all that support from the elected officials, and it seems that that just doesn't exist here at all and so and so that's another thing that's working against it. Um, so why don't you tell us, Dean, if people want to support what you guys are doing, uh, okay where do they go? How does that work?
1: We got a couple avenues. Um, The thing that every time in a meeting with a politician or something, they've looked at our web page. And so the more followers we have on our web page, or our Facebook page, I mean, um, right now I think we're about forty-six hundred. Um, and if you do nothing but just join and follow us on, on Facebook, that, that's a huge help because that, that's actually better than signing a petition. You know, they're, they're constantly watching that number. We do have a, um, web page. Um, we try to update it as often as we can. StopLavaRidge.com. You can get more information there. Um, and that's the name
0: of the Facebook too, right? Stop Lava Ridge. Yeah.
1: The, the, the Facebook page is Stop Lava Ridge and, and our, um, website to stop leverage now that is one thing i would like to point out to people is these guys are they're shysters they're willing to try anything and they, they've got a lot of money and they have actually set up a website and a facebook or not a facebook page but a website i'm um, called support leverage and that's causing some confusion because people are thinking they're coming in and supporting us and so kind of watch out for them guys they're trying to play on that on that wordplay a little bit um so we have set up at DL Evans Bank. Um, we're raising funds. A lot of it is going to... our goal with the funds is to raise enough that if we do need to go to litigation that we can. We have hired an attorney to um, submit comments in, like you say, here to um, to help make sure that we do have the legal backing if it does have to go somewhere. And um, we we have... A, I can send you the email address, or, or not the email, the um, the mailing address. You can also donate at any... Um, D.L. Evans Bank has really been supporting as well. And we do have a Vimo account set up at Stop Lava Ridge. And then um, the phone number to uh, identify that Vimo if you want. it. The last digits is 1081. And, it's, and my name shows up. Dean Diamond shows up in there too. So you'll know you're at the right account. Okay. So.
0: Well, good. Well, we'll put that information in the notes and... What's the deadline, Simone? We have till when to get comments. You said there was an extension?
2: Yeah, April 20th, right, Dean?
0: I think so, yes. Okay, so we have a month to go in and get comments in. So if you're an ATV rider a dirt biker or a hunter or camping, like anybody who likes recreating in this area right around Twin Falls, Idaho, uh, is it, it's south of Craters of the Moon, right?
1: Yeah, maybe south and... Um west of craters of them in the middle a little bit. Okay, so but, you would be area. able to
2: see the turbines from it, right? Yeah,
1: yeah these turbines are huge. You're going to see them instead of the mountain line. And, you know, them guys, of course, I'm sure there's restrictions about ATV and, and camping on on, uh, on the craters, but this would border, border right up to that. You know, to the... so so the free public ground where you can go out and recreate up to the craters of the moon you know so i think people do 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 that go to the craters of the moon and and camp and enjoy that that aspect of it But where they want to ride their bikes they come back to this public ground here that would get really really heavily restricted so
0: yeah so if you ride in that area and you haven't commented on this we need you to add your comments if you if you are just generally supportive of public access to public land this would be a good project to get involved in and oppose the wind project and uh, we certainly don't want to see these precedents being set either like i don't like this precedent of we're going to build a farm on this blm land just because we can just because it doesn't have the restrictive designations that's where all of our best riding areas are right now and if that's where we start building the wind in the solar farms not because they're good for wind or solar just because we can, then I think we need to be opposing that. We, I don't like the mindset of, we just need to do something to do something. It should have to make sense and be supported by the locals and the people in the area. And it sounds like they don't have any of that here in Southern Idaho. So any last words, Dean, before we close out the show?
1: I'm sorry, my, my, my computer <laughs> cut out. Um, I'd just really like to thank you guys for, for supporting us and, and, and helping us get the word out you know it it's not from my point of view it's an easy deal because when people look at the um, the project itself they can see the problems with it and so the hardest thing is getting the word and getting people to look at it and if they finally look at it then then it makes my job a lot easier so thank you guys for helping us get the word out and and, and letting people know that this is going on so
0: well thank you for being a guest it always makes the show better when we get the locals on the ground that know what's going on with these things and have the firsthand knowledge and and you're the ones who will be directly impacted so we appreciate you being here if you enjoy the show and you want to learn more about how our public lands get managed and how decisions like this will impact your recreation we do invite you to subscribe to the defend your ground podcast and do that now and we will be back next week thanks for listening